And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Ferrari ended Formula One pre-season testing with a 1-2 courtesy of Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. But nobody is buying Red Bull being three quarters of a second behind, as the timesheets suggest. I'm Ed Straw, and joining us with all the answers are Scott Vigil Malm and Samarth Canal, with Mark Hughes and Gary Anderson also joining in. Well, Scott, it feels like just seconds ago testing was kicking off here, yet it also feels like we've been here for an entire lifetime. Yeah, it's just the paradox that we have uh, of F1 testing, I think, where there are where you look ahead to it and you think, oh, God, these are three really, really long days coming up. But then at the same time, you have um, uh, those three days pass in, in, in the blink of an eye. It's a little bit like an F1 Bermuda Triangle, really, where you just time loses all, all sense and place loses all sense as well. And it's just a, it's a strange reality. But I, I, I do love F1 testing because no matter how many years you do it for and how many times you go away and you run through broadly a similar process over however many days and whatever track you go to, it's always fun. It doesn't feel as repetitive as it should feel. It's, I find it in, entertaining. I find it hard work, but I do find it rewarding and, and it's an enjoyable challenge. And talking of the challenge of testing, Samarth, this is your first pre-season testing with the race, and it's your second podcast appearance. We've let you back on after yesterday. So how's it for you? Uh, I'm grateful that you let me back on, um, and it's been great. Yeah, it has been a bit of a blur. Um, so many interesting things. It's hard to pick out a pecking order on the Red Bull, but I have a rough idea about it. Um, and I guess it's an old cliche though, isn't it? It's only testing or it is testing and you can't glean too much from the results or can you? I don't know. Can you glean too much from the results? Well, not too much, not too much. You can glean stuff though, because if we couldn't glean anything, we just have to end the, end the podcast now, which wouldn't be great value for money. And so, yeah, that's the end of the race F1 podcast. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. So Scott, we can talk about what's going on. Yes. We haven't changed our opinion that Red Bull is favorites. No. However, Ferrari is looking interesting, would you say? Definitely interesting. I think what Ferrari uh, cemented on the final day was its emphatic place as best of the rest. So I think for most of the first couple of days, we were agonising a little bit over who would be in that role because there did seem to be a, a cluster of teams not in no particular order, Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, Aston Martin. You'd, you'd even hear RB mentioned a little bit in connection with that group, albeit at the back of it. But then by the end of day two, the Ferrari did look quite good, not just one lap pace at top the times, but the long run pace in particular, a race run, caught the eye. And then through all of day three, all it's done is really, really, like I say, cement that that position. I think, um, I don't I don't believe it's going to challenge Red Bull, let alone beat Red Bull next week. Um I do fear what some people in the paddock are, are saying inside the teams and other observers I've spoken to that Rebel could be even further ahead than last year, which scares the crap out of me, to be to be honest. 
but I can't help but be a bit optimistic. What I've seen from the Ferrari just makes me think maybe uh, if if it's best of the rest, can it be a good best of the rest and and snipe snipe at the Red Bull? It certainly passed the eye test as far as I was concerned, trackside. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get back onto that uh, in a moment. But shall we hear Mark Hughes, who has been stuck in his bunker for a third consecutive day analysing every single lap time. So here's what he makes of the running in Bahrain. So on the final day of pre-season testing, Max Verstappen was only fourth in the headline numbers with a 130.755, set early in the afternoon on a set of C3 tyres, which had already done an attack lap. So realistically, that's the equivalent of a 130.5 on a fresh set. Um, the three cars ahead of the Red Bull in the headline times, Ferrari, the Mercedes, and a literally last lap flying Sauber, all did their times on the C4 tyre, which is around six tenths quicker than the C3. So, so theoretically correcting everyone to fresh C3s and bearing in mind that Verstappen's time came at around 4pm with the track at an unhelpfully hot 34 degrees, which was a about six degrees hotter than uh, the later times were set. His Red Bull appeared to have a real advantage of around four tenths of the Charles Leclerc's Ferrari and George Russell's Mercedes over a single lap. Now the Ferrari's pace has been evident throughout the three days of testing, whereas that of the Mercedes was only extracted late on the final day. And furthermore, Mercedes didn't get to do a race simulation as it devoted its time to relatively short runs assessing test items so we don't have a full picture on just exactly where Mercedes stands. But even discounting the C4 rubber Russell used to set that second fastest time, his time on the C3s a little bit earlier tallies closely with that of Leclerc's. They were set a little bit earlier still when the track was around 3 degrees hotter and so probably a bit slower. So probably the Ferrari shades of Mercedes overlap based on what we saw, but as ever we don't know the, the base fuel weights. The fact that no one approached Carlos Sainz's C4 shot 129.9 from yesterday suggests the track may have been slower on the final day. Correcting for his tyres yesterday, Sainz shaded Sergio Perez by around a tenth. Today, again correcting tyres, Leclerc was shaded by Verstappen by four tenths. So it really does look as though uh, Red Bull has a very handy advantage over one lap, despite what we saw yesterday. If we take Verstappen's theoretical fresh tired 130.5 on the C3s as a baseline. We get the following approximate order of one lap pace. We get Red Bull at the front plus a four tenth gap to Ferrari and Mercedes, then another tenth to McLaren, another tenth to Aston Martin, a three tenth gap then to RB and Williams, and then a further one tenth gap to Sauber, Alpine, and Haas. Sauber did what it did here a couple of years ago and produced a last lap flyer on the softest tyre and presumably without even the base weight of fuel that we've been carrying up to that point, giving Joe Guan Yu the th third fastest time. But everything the Sauber had done up until that moment suggests it's in a very tight tail end group with RB, Williams, Alpine and Haas in that order. The picture changes slightly when looking at the available race simulations. Red Bull, Aston Martin, McLaren, Williams, RB, Sauber and Haas all completed three stint race simulations of some sort. Ferrari appeared to do only the first two stints and a partial third before the session ended and neither Mercedes nor Alpine attempted the simulation. So Verstappen completed the fastest full race sim, way more competitive than that recorded yesterday by Sergio Perez who seemed to be carrying a problem, he's so, so far off. But in the two stints completed by Leclerc today, he was nip and tuck as quick as Verstappen. We just don't have the 
full validation of him completing that third stint to know for sure, but team boss Frederick Vasseur acknowledged that the tyre degradation was on a different planet better than that of a year ago, and it seems as if the new Ferrari may have given away some one-lap pace to Red Bull in exchange for some race pace compared to last year. In all, it's been a highly encouraging three days for the Scuderia. Aston Martin's race sim was somewhat truncated and a long way from the full 57-lap race distance, but Fernando Alonso did complete three stints. Assuming equal fueling, his pace suggested that the Aston would finish around 16 seconds behind the Red Bull over the 57-lap race distance and probably behind Ferrari 2 with the Mercedes, an unknown dark horse. Although the McLaren appeared to ace the Aston over a lap, its race simulation was nowhere near as good. Oscar Piastri struggling with, uh, struggling with heavy degradation of both the C3 and C1 compounds. Piastri's race sim was in fact slower than the Williams of Alex Albon and roughly on a par with Daniel Ricciardo's RB. The Haas was a solid last in the race sim, almost half a minute adrift of RB with the Guan Yu Sauber in between. And that's how it was poised at the end of three days of testing. Some of the gaps are small enough to make the order somewhat volatile. So it's, uh, it's quite an intriguing situation um, ahead of next week's Bahrain Grand Prix. As always, thanks very much, Mark, for that insight. So, Samarth, I guess the question is, if, as the numbers suggest, Red Bull is ahead by a few tenths, does Ferrari have a car it can work with, a platform it can develop, and maybe do something about Red Bull with? I think it's been a really promising... The last two days, especially, have been really promising. I think day one is always a bit of an unknown, generally, because there's lots of procedural stuff, things that can go wrong, and it's your first day of testing in a I'm not saying ignore it, but the last couple of days have been really good for Ferrari. Um, you know, a solid benchmark. And I and their long run pace is what looks really good. Um, a really interesting car design. Um and yeah, I think I yeah, I don't think they'll beat Red Bull in the first race. I don't want to, you know, shoot for that, but I think they have a good platform on which to build on. And hopefully as well, a car that if Red Bull underachieve a little bit on a weekend, they could do something with it. But the interesting thing is that the car is more stable aerodynamically, more drivable, more drivability, as Charles Leclerc says. And when he says that, he doesn't actually mean literal drivability like we might think in terms of power delivery and that kind of thing. He just means about user-friendliness and predictability and consistency. And that was the really positive thing because not only does that mean it's a better car to drive, Scott, but it also means it won't work the tyres so hard. So there's the hope that this offset we saw in performance with Ferrari being very quick in qualifying and not so quick in the race hopefully won't be such a problem. Yeah, we heard so many times last year and actually I think probably even before 2023, in back, back in 2022 as well from Ferrari, this idea that if it was quick enough, then it would be quick enough in over one lap and, and, and the race. And that the reason it, it wasn't, it didn't munch its tyres particularly, it was just because it wasn't quite as fast in the race. It had to push harder um, to be able to uh, run at the uh, the pace that it needed to to fight the the people around it that would overwork the tires and, and it would drop back. I mean, I could like there's some merit to it, but I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Ultimately, the best car you have, the the better it looks after the tires as well as being quicker and enable you to to look after the tires. So if it has got on top of that, it would be a huge win. But I agree with you with what we could see trackside that consistency. It just spoke to a few things being better, didn't it? Aerodynamically, it seemed to be performing more consistently. The drivers were a lot happier about how the car does what they want it to do and need it to do. And that was really apparent trackside. I went out my favourite place, turn 10, looking back at the entry 
from turn nine into into turn ten, and I saw Carlos Sainz do a long run in the morning, and then I saw Charles Leclerc do a long run in the evening, and hardly any missteps across both of them. There was one lock up for for Sainz, but I think he just he just got the entry wrong on that occasion. The rest of that run was 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 really good, and uh, the Leclerc run in the evening th there was like there was one almost like micro correction I saw him have to make where the the front didn't quite get into the apex. This was in sort of like two thirds of the way into the run as I saw it. Um, and I, I thought there might be like a hint of some understeer creeping into the car as the tyres go away and it starts to fade. Next lap, bang, just right on the apex, kissing the inside kerb really nicely um, and did that in the subsequent laps as well. So it brought it back under control. It showed that there wasn't something inherently wrong with the car and it just faded as the stint went on. And it was, it just made the strongest impression of any car other than the Red Bull Trackside. I, I would go so far as to say, not that it looked quicker on hard on the hardest compounds than others looked on softer compounds, but it made a better impression. It looked better on the C1 tire, for example, than the impression the Mercedes left, for example, when it came through on the C4. The, the Mercedes didn't do anything on the softest compound tire that I saw it run that made me go, oh, wow, that looks incredible in the way that the Ferrari made me go, this is just a really nicely poised racing car. And that's a positive thing. The drivers are just both very happy with it, both Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, which hasn't always been the case. Charles Leclerc compared the first day of running very favourably compared to last year when you thought, oh, this is a bit all over the place. But they're both pretty happy now. So, yeah, I think Fred Vasseur has been very careful not to get too overexcited, but he was sort of very, very quietly positive. So, yeah, Ferrari best place to be the, the nearest challenger. But it's very interesting because Ferrari don't look head and shoulders above those also in that, that bustling group behind chasing Red Bull, but they do look just ahead. But picking out... The others in that group, there's McLaren around there, Mercedes, Aston Martin, even RB, as some people have been suggesting. So, Samarth, do you want to have a stab at who might be <laughs> Thanks for putting third on the best, fourth best from what you've seen? I'm on the spot and it's only my second podcast with the race. Um, I'm going to go for, oh, that's a really tough one. Okay, here's the thing. I don't think we've seen much of Mercedes and I... I, I don't I think, think you're right. I don't think they've shown their hand, and and that's making it quite difficult. To I, I don't this. think they've got their hand arranged quite yet. I, oh. This is the way I'd put it, but but carry it in that they're still building understanding of the car. So similar thing, but I don't think they're hiding. I think they're working. Let's put we, it that way. Which is why, if I'm not a betting man, because um, well, I'd lose a lot of money, but <laughs> which kind of makes this next thing pointless. But basically, I will put McLaren up there behind them. They've had a solid-ish test. I know there have been a couple of gremlins, but on pace, they do look pretty solid. Um, it's just because I haven't seen that much from Merck. And, and I, is that concerning at this point for them? Well, it depends because the drivers are both happier with the car, better rear stability. The team's happier with the platform mechanically that they've got, and they think they've got something they can work with. But it doesn't feel like they're completely on top of everything. They were still doing a lot of work. We'll, we'll talk to Gary Anderson later about what they were doing with the suspension, the front suspension, a bit more anti-dive on it uh, today. So they're still working through things. So I feel like if, if you think of zeroing in on making these cars work and understanding them as sort of a, a big wide, wide bar and it narrows as running goes, I think Mercedes haven't narrowed that bar in, in as much as some others because they've changed so much, which is why I say... 
they haven't sort of they haven't completely arranged their hand. So I don't think they're sort of deliberately hiding or anything. So I think your your call of McLaren for third is perfectly legitimate. What do you think though, Scott? Because McLaren seem to be playing things down quite a bit, both publicly and privately. They're not shouting from the rooftops, but they do look pretty reasonable. I think they're in a position to start the season in a strong place and in a place that sort of better reflects their potential for the season. Whereas uh, the last few years, even actually before this rule set, remember in 2021 as well, I feel I don't feel like they really hit the ground running in, in testing and they were working um, through some things there. And that doesn't mean that they're going to be second best and fighting for wins um, as soon as possible, which ultimately their ambition this year, they've said publicly they want to try and f- they want to fight for wins this year. They want to win races if they can. And that's not a generic, oh, every team would love to, to win a race this year if they could. That, that's a sincere, this, that has to be our ambition. Oh, and absolutely should be, given the progress they made last year. Yeah, exactly. And again, in that context, you might think it's disappointing if they don't start as second best. But the way they see it is that that is a type group they want to be in that group to start with they've got upgrades that they're really happy with that are progressing in the background couldn't be produced quite in time for the launch card that doesn't mean that they've missed targets or anything it just means some work that they're that they've been doing some really fruitful development work just hasn't come off in time to add it to the launch spec so they're confident about what they've got up their sleeve they've made some progress with their weaker car characteristics from last year but they still work to do there so when you bundle all of that together what you have is a team that's certainly not in crisis it's a car that's behaving relatively well and that the drivers seem to be quite happy with it reflects some development from the end of last year so so they're in the mix but what they're not and i don't think they're necessarily expected to be is necessarily at the immediately at the head of that best of the rest group i think if they're they, they've got to have both cars in q3 and i think they should have both cars in q3 They've probably got to be fighting to have at least one car on the first three rows of the grid. I think they'd be disappointed if they didn't have one car in the top six in the, on, on the grid. And I think they'd want to see in the race that they're strong enough to fight Ferrari and Mercedes. I think they'd be disappointed if they came out of Bahrain fifth best and only with a couple of lowly points finishes. So we're we sort of saying McLaren and Mercedes are third and fourth a bit interchangeably. We haven't quite worked out. We've still got some number crunching to do as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a bit difficult because... When you look at them on track, I think the Merc has slightly more eye-catching moments on track. But it also has moments that make you think this is taking a while to get into the the working window that, that they want. And that's not similar to last year where it had a narrow working window. I think they're still figuring out this car. The Mercedes has changed a lot more than the McLaren from the end of last year. So that just stands to reason. Um, But... When, when I was watching trackside at the end of day three, the McLaren looked better at the end of its long run than the Aston Martin did, but it didn't look like a Ferrari. I didn't have a, Mc, a Mercedes, in terms of the eye test, a long run to compare it to. So that's trickier to judge. But from what they've said, they're not at Ferrari's level. The question is, where does Merck fit in that? I think that's the big question for me. I think M- McLaren will be a little bit off Ferrari and then it's about where that Merck is in, in reality when that will be where it, where it nudges in or slips in ahead of McLaren or is fighting it or behind it. And the thing is, it's all pretty small gaps at this stage. So very small swings are going to make all the difference. But I think that's given us kind of our, our, our top four as it is 
of now it'll probably evolve as we uh, we do some more study in the in the coming days but yeah i think that's roughly where uh, things are at now before we delve into the rest of the field it's time for a reminder of the incredible offer we're running right now for the race members club if you enjoy this podcast and want more audio content as well as loads of other things like early access to our bring back v10s podcast and an ad free web environment then the race members club could be for you right now for a limited period you can get a month's membership for free and after that the normal monthly price is just £2.99, which we hope you'll think is fantastic value. We've lots planned over the coming months, and there's plenty in the archive for you to dig into as well. And we'll have another Q&A podcast between now and the Bahrain Grand Prix weekend, especially for members. So to sign up today, click the link in the description to this episode. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Right, Samarth, we've kind of done our, our top four. We've briefly mentioned Aston Martin, who we do see as being in that group chasing Ferrari. But do you feel that they're towards the bottom of it rather than nipping at the heels of Red Bull as they were at the start of last year? Yeah, I'm not. I wonder if it's been. Th- there was some optimism today from Fernando Alonso. I wonder if it's been that good a test for them. And, and I do think they'll find themselves fighting perhaps RB, um, who have been perhaps more optimistic after the test. I think they had a really solid test. Um, again, have Aston Martin not played their hand that much? I think there's a case of it. I, I think on long runs, they do look okay. I don't know where they stack up in that midfield, but I think they're going to be perhaps not at the same level as they were last year, which might be unfortunate for them. It seems to be the car's working quite well and quite nicely and responding quite well but Scott just maybe lacking that last tiny edge of pace so maybe more uh, getting into Q3 car than uh, bothering the front row car let's put it that way yeah I think so um, there was a bit of a feeling towards the end of day two and start of day three that one or two teams thought it might be on that on the back end of that group and bothering some of those teams but um, I think you heard from Daniel Ricciardo directly, didn't you, Ed? Um, and I, I had a bit of a chat with him just in 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 the paddock, and he's he's very much like I we're not. He, he's kind of aware that some people are talking them up, but he's like we're not there. That the, he said he said something to me. I don't know if he said this in the media session, but he said something to me about they've got the impression. Or, well, not got the impression. It basically was quite quite clearly hinted at the end of last year that there were some concerns that they were this team was going to rock up with a Red Bull copy of the 20 a copy of the Red Bull 2023 car which they absolutely have they have not and Ricardo said I think people expected us to have some kind of like P2 
pink Mercedes style racing point thing from 2020. And so it would just be the RB19 in new RB colours because that um, that naming system isn't confusing at all and therefore would be super competitive out of the blocks. But no, they've, they've gone in their own direction around the Red Bull parts that they have taken and they've built on where they got to at the end of last year when this team had got to be in the fifth fastest car. I think it was the fifth fastest car. Um, it's not going to be quite that again because it's got other teams, you know, like Aston should have re-established itself ahead of that team over the winter for for example but they're in a they're in a good place to have got clear of that group behind which is what i think they've done to even just be like i th- i think comfortably is a dangerous word to use around ra- any kind of ranking but i think it is comfortably sixth best i don't see it as a at risk of the teams behind Probably not. It, it's difficult because the gaps are going to be so small. So but, it comes down to but, execution. Exactly. But I think if you if everyone's getting a notional 100% out of the car, yeah, I think that car is probably, it, it's on the fringe of Q3. I'm interested to see how it can do up against I Aston think Martin. Be, I think they'd be really happy if they got one car into Q3 and one or one or both cars in the points, even if they were ninth and 10th. Yeah, yeah. I, gu- I, I guarantee that team would be satisfied with yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be good. And, and Ricardo even talking on the record he was quite optimistic about how they were doing you know he wasn't talking about he, he was being asked about podiums and he's like no no look we're going nicely but this is a very much a continuation of what we were doing last year and they've made some decent progress so I think I think RB are looking are looking pretty handy and I think for them success this season would be leaving that back group behind so yeah we've kind of got them yeah the sixth best and then Biting at the heels, maybe of Aston Martin, perhaps. But again, all the numbers tell us these gaps are quite small, and it doesn't take much for a team to be one tenth better than it looks, and another to be one tenth worse, and then suddenly everything swaps around. But uh, yeah, I think they Daniel Ricciardo looked and sounded and half said that he was quite confident they had left that rear group behind. So I feel like he's left it. They feel like they've left it behind, but they can't be completely confident they won't slip back into it. Let's put it. That yeah, way. I think that's fair, especially because when I was trackside in that final hour today, um, the the two most well, two of the most Larry moments I saw came from Yuki Tsunoda when he was on. Did you think? Did he have both of them on the C three, or maybe one of them was on the C four? He had a monster lockup on one lap coming in, um, like proper left. A, ton of tire smoke hanging in the air it was horrible because it's it's it stinks for starters (laughs) but it hangs for a little while um and then he did basically the same a lap later but just didn't lock up he just ran really deep and i just thought is this car is this the car performing less well when the fuels come out of it and they've done a quali sim or is it just you know drivers out in the last sort of 30 minutes of the session he's put the softest tires on he's got a bit carried away because drivers do that in in testing we see you ask a little bit too much of it and as i've said a million times on on these podcasts that's why i go and watch at that corner because it does it does just invite the driver to overreach slightly but it was a little reminder that that car didn't look perfect all the time and it doesn't take much to overstep the limit because that's the other thing. We don't we don't know how much everybody's taken their cars to the limit. And it's very, very easy for a car to look nicely poised and balanced and actually a bit quite well together when it's being driven at 99%. And then when everyone turns everything up to 100, that's just where you see the the cracks in, 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 in the car's performance characteristics emerge. 
yeah, that's the that's the big question. But yeah, I think we're, we're fairly positive about RB's progress, and they seem pretty happy that they've taken a nice step from the back end of uh, of last year. So we're talking about the group at the back. There's kind of a group of four cars we've got as the notional at the back group. And it's very interesting because you can slice and dice it all sorts of ways about who's at the front of makes, that. Makes, let's make some math. Uh, um, oh rank them again. Yeah. Who on, would you like them. to? <laughs> who would you like to pick? It's behind RB. It, it's uh, oh, this is really tough. It's really tough because a lot of the language is about how much progress they've made from last year. And as soon as you ask anyone, they're like, "I don't want to say. I don't want to make that guess." So it's very difficult. They also all claim that they're not looking at what the other teams are doing as well. And so then the next answer is them are. saying that they are looking at it. <laughs> oh, I, I'll tell you what I did appreciate today. You, you were there as well, Samarth. When Jody Egginson, the technical director at, uh, at RB, RB <laughs> such a difficult <laughs> name. We were quizzing Almost. Pete Byer, the, uh, the CEO earlier about that. He was gamely trying to justify the branding. But anyway, I won't go back down that particular route. But he was good because he was talking about other cars, not making bold uh, comments about uh, about how quick they'll be but he was good because he would talk about technical details they've spotted on other cars that were interesting because normally they say oh, well, we don't we don't we don't pay attention to that which they absolutely do because it's part of their job i just like the fact that he was willing to talk about some other cars in general terms but anyway i've completely gone off on a tangent there well so no, he was a breath on. of fresh air actually yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. Um, i agree um i completely agree with that salva do look good i i wonder if they will be a bit up and down as they were last year where you'll find it's a track specific thing for them whereas some tracks they'll be really good some tracks they might not be so good so i would place them possibly there i think um williams i'm not sure there were some procedural things and things that didn't go quite their way as well which is a little bit concerning for them but they did make a step up again you know the old cliche there i just put it out um so okay i'm gonna go for salva next uh, p7 Ooh, yeah. Okay. Oh, here we go. So when I Joe, it was Joe, Joe was in the car, wasn't he, at the end of the day? And uh, when he came out on the C, it was a C four, I think that he did his fast lap on at the uh, end. I believe so. Um, it came through, and it looked it looked really good. And I, when when you're out at turn ten, there's no leaderboard around, and I I didn't have timing on me. It's quite nice in those moments to just focus on what you're seeing, because then you're just not like trying to convince yourself you're seeing a fast lap. So. All I know, all I noted was that the, actually, to be honest, all day when I was watching there, like the Salmon never looked bad. Um, but Joe came, Joe comes through in on the C four, and it, it did, it did leave a that that looks really tidy. That was the impression. It, it looked perfectly good, and that's easier to do when you put the C four on. Um, then I got back, and and the point I w- would make on that is it looked good as well. The only other reference it had at the time was Sonoda who had gone out on the RB and he'd screwed his lap up and then, um, or screwed a lap up that I saw, I should say. And then Russell as well. And Joe came through really not looking like tremendously worse than Russell looked when he came through. But I am fairly convinced. I think I, I'm, quite confident in saying i imagine that set that was a low fuel run from 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 joe and that's where the, the lap time came from so my suspicion is there is that flattered how the car looked and the lap time and maybe not necessarily right now at the end of testing but by the time we get back at the track next week my suspicion is they will have slipped behind 
possibly both Williams and Alpine. But I don't have high hopes for Alpine. <laughs> well, Alpine, they're a factory team, obviously, a works team. How worried are you about them, Samath? They're not looking great yet, are they? Quite, which is, I, I guess that was the logic I was using when I put Sauber ahead of them. Um, it hasn't been a good test for them. It's been concerning in a couple of ways. They've got a lot of work to do. But they are a works team, so it would be baffling if they weren't seventh fastest. I would say that it's a bit weird because I think they've had a really good test in terms of the way it's it, it's it's worked. They've, they, I think they're still... I think they're still in a bit of a adjustment phase from all of their changes mid-season last year, and this was their first pre-season test under the new regime. And there's a lot of noise coming from that team about how well it's sort of working together and how productive the test has been. And they've got through everything they wanted to get through, and it's all been pretty smooth. But where the test hasn't been good is in the performance, and they'd already hinted about that. They'd already hinted at that in the launch it was becoming pretty clear on day two that it was struggling. By day three, the team was openly playing it down and suggesting that they're going to have a, a difficult start and they're not going to be where they need to be. So they are, at the moment, I see no reason for them to be anywhere other than in this back four team group. And my gut feeling by what by what we've heard and then also what we've seen at track side because it looks like the hardest work of any of the mm. cars um on the grid Certainly. um i i would put it my gut feeling was to put it ninth like that was my absolute gut feeling but then i, I just because of that whole like, it's, it's it's the it's the renault works team like it, it, it surely surely everything must be lying to me and it must be a bit better than that and I wouldn't be surprised if one car gets knocked out in Q1 next week, but if they're both on the back two rows of the grid, it would be an enormous letdown, regardless of the fact that they're trying to keep expectations in check. That would be a huge disappointment. Yeah, it will be. Obviously, this is a team that's tried to change direction a bit. I'm, I'm gently encouraged, actually, by some of the stuff Bruno Fama and the team principal saying about really taking a slightly different approach rather than having stupid targets for where they're going to be whenever just trying to keep improving so it's another one of those new starts for Alpine that's that's the thing that's that's worrying and we just have to hope that there's enough change there for this to be part of the process but it's not looking great for the start of the season it is a weird kind of combination of things isn't it like duality almost because it is that there are I do sincerely believe there are reasons to be optimistic about some things that we're seeing there and the attitude shift that there seems to be in terms of the absolute top level running of the team and how it's left to get on with stuff now, the structure that it's put in place, what Ed was saying there about the you know, cultural changes and the and, and the way it's actually working. But that is currently taking place in the context of it being F- I, It's If it is where we think it is, it's the most disappointing team at the start of the season. Oh, certainly, because it's a, it's a factory team. It needs to be stronger than this. So they need to make progress. They do have upgrades planned for a few races in. But then again, so is everybody. So we need to see progress there. Not great for them to be in that back group. But again, front to back looks relatively condensed. So small gains relative to the rest can move you up. But yeah, not looking great. And that then brings us to Haas, who have a car that seems to work quite nicely. They seem to have worked quite well through their programme. So it, it's been a quietly efficient test for them, hasn't it? Nico Holpenberg was in another prickly mood today, by the way. I'm just going to say that. 
Uh, it's I not asked, entirely unusual. He likes, it's not a, unusual, he likes a little it? bit of spikiness. He, he enjoys it. Spiky. Well, he's got spiky hair, so you know he wears it on his head. And um, <laughs> sure, it's not on his floor on his nose. Ooh. Oh, here we go. Uh, I I think no one's expecting them to be regular points contenders. No one is not. They aren't either. There's it's a it's a transitional year in some senses. If they can kind of nail the platform, they've got something good to build on. And I think I'm not going to say they've nailed it, but I, I think they've made good progress. I'll be very surprised to see one Haas get into Q2 though on on Sunday. Oh, on Saturday. There we go, another one. It's actually on... on oh, yeah, sorry. In, on in fairness, the whole calendar's been we, doing we're about it's Saturday to, Grand Prix. Yeah, so. it's the Saturday Grand Prix. And so, yeah, it's actually on Friday. Um, the, the, well, obviously, qualifying was their strong point. So getting cars into Q2 should be like something that they should be aiming for. And then the, the aim should then be to maintain that position. You know, Ayakamatsu has said several times in this test that the main thing is they know from last year, what's the point of qualifying seventh if you go absolute, absolutely nowhere from them. But I'm interested in what you said about Hulkenberg because I spoke to Magnussen today and Magnussen has, Magnussen's been in a really good mood this whole test and he was nice and chatty. He was, he was, he, he's another one who can be quite difficult. Um, Dayton has, has a driver pairing that, both drivers can be quite standoffish if they've got no interest in talking to you, but he's actually been pretty good um, this week, Kevin, and it was a good chat again today. He's like quite happy with how the test has gone, quite happy to have piled into the whole long run stuff and, you know, ignoring the the, the, the low fuel runs um, a lot more. Um, pretty happy with the feeling that he has in the car and believes that there is an improvement on the tyre degradation stuff. So, what mate was it just Hulk's demeanor or was he genuinely downbeat about things? I think it's a demeanor thing. I think there is some optimism there, and I, I do think that they've solved some of those tire issues. I don't think that the qualifying pace might remain this year, that's all. They did focus on long runs a lot in this test. I wonder if it means that they'll just be better on a Sunday, which is normally when races take place, and um Saturdays might fall by the wayside a little bit more. Well, I think they'd be willing to trade that. But I, there was an interesting thing that Komatsu said, actually, which I would imagine is the kind of process thing that you'd like, Ed. So they spent so long over days one and two getting the car in a good place or where they felt was a good place for, for the race and feeling like they were in a better place for time management and for race pace and, and, and whatever. And they got that set up and they feel like that's a good place for them to go into Bahrain next week. So then for their low fuel runs today, what they did is they basically made changes within the parameters that you can make within Park Ferme because their intention is for this to effectively be their setup for next weekend if they can because they know that it, that seems to work at the moment for the best for the car over a long run and the race distance and then they're going to fettle a qualifying setup from that, which I actually like, okay, it means they could be vulnerable in qualifying against rivals that not only have done more qualifying work but also are perhaps balancing their setup a bit more across qualifying and the race but when you consider what their weakness is and how methodical they've been i quite like that as an approach from us yeah it's sensible it's just pragmatic isn't it which is what they need to be and i think the overall positive thing for Haas is with their approach and what they're doing and the car that seems to work quite well they've got something they can go racing with it seems and that was the problem they didn't have something they could go racing with very often 
last year. So that's that's the positive. It occurs to me that by um, uh, by complete accident, dancing between these teams, we've mentioned Williams in passing a few times without actually saying anything in detail. But there's not a huge amount really to say in detail. It looks it looks like a step. It looks like they've turned some weaknesses into strengths. They've got some other balance compromises that have come from that, but. They, end, they seem to end the test in a much better place than their compromised first day. And yeah, if it, I, think they, I think they really could be at the front of that little 14-pack. Certainly finishing seventh again in the coming year doesn't seem at all impossible. It's quite a nice car. Like it, it, it looks nicely put together, but it also just seems to work really well on track. It doesn't seem to have any obvious vices anymore. Yeah, which is good because it had quite a few vices last <laughs> yes, year. Did, like, this track locking, really exposed them as yeah, well. The front locking, the wind sensitivity, the instability. So relatively positive for Williams. But as we say, it's still pretty close. Small swings will make a difference. We'll get a lot more answers next weekend on the Bahrain Grand Prix. But we've at least got some idea. The, uh, the competitive model of the season has started to take shape. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, we've talked at length already about the relative performance of the cars, but we're now joined by Gary Anderson, who's done his own very interesting analysis based on a different methodology, but equally valid and doesn't tell a dramatically different story, but does tell an interesting story in a slightly different way so it's it's a very good way to have a look at the pace obviously in testing it's all about trying to paint the picture of, of the competitive order so gary 
you've been number crunching, you've been frantically working on your Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. What have you learned? Um, well, you know, the thing is, there's so many variables during testing. Um, and obviously, the teams keep their, their run programs to themselves, so we're never really okay with all of that. All you can do is keep an eye for new tires appearing in the car um, and a sudden switch in lap time that says, you know, something more going on here than just the tires. Um, because normally, you know, from a used set of tires to, to a new set of tires, you might see a, a second lap or something. But whenever you sort of see two or three seconds, you know that they're getting a bit excited about life and trying to go for lap time. So uh, what I've done is really take the, the laps. The majority of drivers did their, their time on the C3 tire, which is the medium tire, which I think is quite sensible because that's, you know, get the car working on that. And then either side of that, you know, the tire's a little bit softer, a little bit, a little bit uh, harder. So the C3 is no, also the soft for the Bahrain Grand Prix weekend as well. Yeah. So yeah. You saw reference. It is the, you know, as the tire for the Bahrain weekend, but as in normal, as the medium, the medium compound at most places, but it's, it ends up being the soft in Bahrain. And the reason, the reason they have the different tire choices is basically, you know, the tire durability for a lap, you know, really the, you know, the C4 tire, although it gives you a bit more, more lap time, you've got to right, drive it fairly carefully just to get, make sure it lasts to the end of the lap. There is more time in it, but you've got to be a bit, bit cautious with it really. So, um, I think, you know, in reality, I think Pirelli said there was something like eight tenths of a second difference. I never quite agree with Pirelli on that sort of stuff. It's all right. The teams generally disagree with Pirelli's yeah. deltas as well. <laughs> you know, they're, they're huge. And in, the, in a theoretical world, yes, fine. But you've got to make sure that the tyre lasts for the whole lap. So I, I, I work on my analysis is, uh, I think, around Bahrain, you, if you look after the tyre nicely, you might gain half a second a lap from a C3 to a C4. Um, and it, if you use a C5, which nobody really did in earnest, um, from a C3 to a C5, I think it might, you might get eight tenths because, you know, the C5 helps a lot in traction, but the tires will be just hanging on the rims by the end of the lap. So you don't get as much out of it. And again, the other way around from C3 to the harder C2, you know, it's about half a second. Um, and then C3 to, to the C1 is a bit more, about a second because it's a very durable tire. It hangs on to the end of the lap, but you lose a bit of traction. So in general, the C3 tire, my book, is a, a nice tire to sort of do your development work on. It's Mr. Average. It's Mr. Average for across the, the range of circuits and whatever. So the, as I say, the majority of teams did, did the running on the C3, so it's only fair to put a bit of time onto the people who use C4s um, because it's only you know, four or five drivers, half a dozen drivers, um, as opposed to you know, the other 14 or whatever was left that used, that did use a C3. So my analysis, my numbers, I've done all to suit that. And what do the numbers tell you? Because it's a, it's an interesting, uh, it's, it's an interesting slight shuffle of, of the order, which, uh, maybe gives some good reason for excitement. Yeah, it does give good reason for excitement. I mean, again, it's the same old deal. There is so many other things that can affect at time of day. Um, you know, as I say, fuel loads, 10 kilograms is three tenths of a second. Um, so there's lots of things, but we can only we can only analyse it based on the information that we can see. And as I say, the only thing we really do know is the tyres. So I, you know, I get Ferrari still fastest. Um, Carlos Sainz at a thirty one minute thirty point four two one because of adding on that time because he did his his fastest time at twenty nine nine on the on the uh, on the C four. Um, it still ends it still ends up fastest. The Ferrari still ends up fastest because of that time. Charles Leclerc. Um, at a thirty point one thirty point eight again, he used um, C four tires, so there's you know, half a second added on there. 
Um, he ends up fifth overall. So, you know, Ferrari are in the ballpark. Um, the car looked good. Both drivers were able to do you know, a respectable job each time. The long runs looked pretty decent. Um, so in general, I think they went through a, a good program and, and came out the other end of it. I think they'll be fairly happy. I think everybody's still waiting with bated breath to see what the Red Bull will do when push comes to shove um, because it's never you never quite know with them. You know, I think that when Ferrari are doing that sort of lap time, there's still a bit of fuel in the car. Last year's pole position, I think it was a 29.7. Um, so it's it's you know, not far away. We should see the cars being, you know, I don't know, two, three, four tenths of a second quicker than last year in reality. So, you know, you're looking at um, at maybe, you know, Ferrari looking at a second there, which is, as I say, is equivalent to like 30 kilograms of fuel. And I suppose that's not, you know, not uh, out of bounds that that's what they had. And the engine turned up a little bit more and so on and so forth. But I get Red Bull um, second again, courtesy of Sergio Perez's time. Again, he did his time on the C4. Um, but, uh, you know, Max Verstappen went through, I think went through more race preparation than actually going out and looking for a lap time. So I think there's a bit in there still. Um, the the fastest Red Bulls are 130.684. Um, and Max was was a tenth of a second sort of slower than, than Sergio. Uh, we sort of know that's not really fact because it's not the way it works usually. I think Red Bull have got a, a little bit more to give than Ferrari, but I do think it might be nip and tuck um, between the two of them. And it's in qualifying, perhaps as last year. Yeah, I think I think I don't think the the Red Bull um, really focus so much on qualifying. Again, as, as Max has run here in the test, I think they you know they do focus on the race. They know they'll be in there in the ballpark in qualifying, all all things being equal. And if they can do that, they know they can race well. So. You know, it's it, it's the first race of the year coming up, so we're all we're all waiting with bated breath to see what really does unfold because we want. I don't. It's not necessarily. I don't want Red Bull to win. I want them to have a harder time winning at least, and that would just be great for me. The Mercedes suspension was catching the eye both at front and and rear today. Obviously, the rear suspension, nothing new, but there's something interesting that's been there right from the start when we first saw that suspension configuration, and then also something that changed. On the Mercedes, so I think that's worth talking about. Do you want to have a chat about your concerns about the rear suspension first? Well, the rear is, is one of these things where you know, obviously, Red Bull um, set up set about uh, two years ago and went to push rod away from the pull rod. Um, and the one view I've got of the Red Bull inboard suspension on the rear of the car, it's it's quite a different solution that they've got there as well. Um, you know the the way they package it is is pretty different from normal. Um, whereas getting a bit of a picture today of the of the Mercedes, um, the way they run their rocker and the torsion bar is very um, it's a very basic way of doing it. It's very standard where you just have a rocker at the top of the torsion bar. The bottom of the torsion bar is anchored in the in the bell housing of the car as such. The the rocker rotates and the push rod pushes it. And there's nothing too exciting about it, I suppose you might call it. Um, but, it, you know, the, the thing for me is that um, the pushrod angle is very, 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 very shallow. And, you know, the shallower the angle, the higher the loads, because obviously, you, you, you know, you can't move the pushrod as far with the vertical movement of the wheel. 
So you've got to then do the rocker ratio. You've got to make the rocker very, very small just to get the uh, the ratio and to, to, to rotate the torsion bar. Um, so, uh, and that's just a pure mechanical it's just thing, a pure, isn't it? Just a, yeah. a mechanical energy required. Yeah. It's just a, a mechanical energy required to, to rotate that torsion bar from a vertical wheel movement. You've got to turn it into a rotation at the at the torsion bar, and um, sort of it's a, a balancing act between rotating a torsion bar too far and overstressing it, uh, or you know not being able to rotate it enough, and you need a huge and a huge diameter torsion bar to give you the stiffness. Um, so it's one of those sort of situations where I'm not sure that the Mercedes package's rear suspension is actually as optimal as the Red Bull one. Um, the front suspension was slightly different, what we saw today. You know, this controlling the platform, as we call it, so been, is now the big thing because the cars are running so close to the ground uh, because the ground effect cars producing so much downforce from underneath the car that... You know, it's no good having the, the the car working really well at one fixed ride height like you have in a wind tunnel um, because the, the wind tunnel on CFD is steady state. You know, you go through a different ride height range, but each ride height you put the car to is it's a fixed ride height and you get a set of numbers, you move it to a different ride height, you get a set of numbers and then you try and extrapolate between the two to see what might have happened or what you think might happen. Still a lot of guesswork in it. Um, and there's a lot of simulation tools that you can end up using to sort of do that and get the best out of it you can. But still, it's it's going from A to B to C to D of fixed points and then trying to draw a line between them. Um, and and in reality, then, so you get your error profile and you need to make sure that error profile is managed, is controlled. And the only way you can do that is with the suspension. Now, you, you, you can make the car solid and say, that's it, we'll put it at a fixed ride height, but the tyre's still this rubber spring that's there so you've got to accommodate that as well so the the teams have moved to on the front of the car a lot of anti-dive in other words when you have the weight transfer going onto the front axle during braking um the front of the car doesn't just smash itself into the ground and you don't have to run stupidly stiff springs um because you you take it out in the kinematics of the suspension um on the rear of the car you're taking you know the weight transfer means it's coming from somewhere and going somewhere so you're taking you know, at 6G, you're taking probably 300 kilograms of weight off the rear axle and sticking it on the front for a tenth, two tenths of a second. It's diminishing as as you, you as the car slows down and you're trying to get off the brake pedal. You know, you start off at 6G and you've got about 100 metres to stop. So it's, it's going from 6G down to probably 1G by the time you turn in, um, down a slope. So the thing is, you want to keep the front of the car from splashing itself into the ground, and you want to keep the rear of the car from rising up, because that 300 kilograms, you're taking off the rear and putting on the front. So the kinematics of the suspension, front anti-dive, rear anti-lift, um, that's all about that, basically, so you don't have to run stupid springs to, to control it. Um, and Mercedes today were experimenting with the amount of anti-dive they have in the front of the car. Anti-dive is a funny thing because, you know, you can you can make it work for, for quite a high degree of anti-drive in the front of the car, but you'll get to a point where the driver's not getting any feedback because the car's not, theoretically, the car's not moving. It's all going through the suspension linkage, all the, the forces. Um, so he's getting no feeling of, of the car movement, um, and it's very easy to lock the brakes. And we saw that with George Russell on a couple of occasions. 
I'm not saying it was that, but the amount of anti-dive they've got on the front of the car now is is a lot. Um, I personally believe that less is better, and I think the rear would be what I'd be concentrating on stopping the rear coming up because that's that gives you more downforce because you're keeping the car lower. Um, on the front, you're, you're just supporting the car from banging into the ground. But um, we'll see. You know, be interesting to see what they arrive with next weekend. Well, it certainly shows that the suspension is a uh, important technical battleground uh, these days again, having been relegated behind the great god aerodynamics for quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still there. It's there now. Uh, it's more important than people thought a long time ago, but it is to control the aerodynamics. So don't don't get me wrong. The, the suspension itself and the geometry isn't the be-all and end-all. Although I do say, and I will say, and I have said many, many times, that those black bits of rubber that you got on the ground are your best friend and your suspension geometry can look after them and a lot of teams don't so you know you can you, you should pay a little bit of attention to the to the suspension geometry and the kinematics because as i say without your best friend working with you you're wasting your time absolutely it's going to be a fascinating technical battle this year thanks very much for your coverage over the last few days gary loads on the website and then our previous podcast and i'm sure we'll hear from you soon well, that's it for our three days of testing coverage from Bahrain. Head to therace.com for lots more analysis and to sign up for that members club offer we mentioned earlier. With the first race of the season just a week away, we'll be back with you very soon with everything you need to know about the 2024 F1 season. The Athletic.